Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Today, I'm loaning out interviewing duties once again, this time to Autosport Magazine editor Kevin Turner for a special chat with Britain's most recent Le Mans winner, Nick Tandy. Now, this chat with Nick, who is of course a Porsche factory driver regularly competing for the manufacturer's GT Le Mans squad in the IMSA Sports Car Championship, was actually recorded at the end of February. And that was just before what was supposed to be the 2020 Sebring 12 Hours in March, which was of course postponed as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. But do enjoy this chat between Kevin Nick, which covers his motorsport career and of course that golden triumph in 2015 when Tandy was victorious at Le Mans in a Porsche 919 alongside Nico Hülkenberg and Earl Bamber. Welcome to the All Sport Podcast. I'm Kevin Turner and with me today is a Le Mans winner, someone who's got a reputation for being quick in anything, any circuit he finds himself in. And we don't really see that much of him in uh, Europe because he races most of the time in the United States. So welcome Nick Tandy. Have you just come back from a visit to the States? You're over there quite a lot these days, aren't you? Yeah, we were testing in Sebring last week, actually. So just come back from that, getting ready for, for race week, which is in a couple of weeks' time. And that's, of course, the Porsche GTLM programme. Um, and you're up against... I mean, actually, you could argue that the GT class over there is, is the, hardest, the hardest one. It's where all the pros are, really, isn't it? <laughs> it has been the last few years, but um, it's a bit of a shame this year we've lost the two Fords from the championship. So there's only kind of six GTLM. But it is, I mean, it's bloody good racing. It's, um, I get to race in, you know, we race in WC at Le Mans. We do a bit of Blanc Pan stuff at Spa and, um, you know, I've done some IGTC stuff. But the the competition in America is, um, it, for the last few years, I think it's been second to none. And it's, yeah, it's it's really good fun. There's, there's lots of good teams, lots of good cars, you know, all proper pro drivers. So it's... It's it's good fun. It's it's competitive. 
But like I have to say, we, we, you perhaps don't get to see it that much over here anymore. Well, I think of it as sort of a bit of a hidden gem, really, because um, I think the DPI cars are pretty cool now. I mean, I think when Grand Am started, it was a bit, they weren't great, but now they look quite, like, they look quite funky, don't they? Um, but how, how's it looking? Because it was, Daytona was, Daytona 24 hours was a reasonable result, but probably not quite the one you wanted. <laughs> as a team result, it was a wasn't good result. Bad. Yeah, second and third for a new car. Um, you know, in a 24-hour race. And to do the whole race, both cars went without problem, which was the, the massive thing. I don't think we've ever... I don't think we've ever been in a team where where both cars have, have gone a 24-hour race without something happening, you know, whether it be something in the pits or a, a technical thing. But, yeah, we just kept putting fuel and tyres on the car for 24 hours. But, of course, <laughs> we were always running at the front, and... Um, for anyone that watched we were always kind of in and amongst um there was one corvette and one bmw that that didn't have issues and it was a great race for about 22 hours and then come the last couple of hours when the sun came up the bmw just just checked out and uh it was bittersweet because like you say the result was good but um when you think you've got a chance to to win something like daytona and then realize pretty quickly coming to the last couple of stints that you're not going to win it it's yeah it's pretty disheartening yeah, your expectations already increased by then hasn't it really but uh, pretty well set for the season what do you make of the new corvette because obviously they're your rivals that you've uh, known for a while but it's mid-engined a bit controversial in the corvette community what's, uh, what's well, your it looks take right. on that it looks nice doesn't it <laughs> it does yeah <laughs> i mean they're they're going to build a good car it's it's clear you know pratt and miller that do the development have have been at this for a long time and i think you know, especially when the the Porsche team in in the US started, you know, Corvette racing are the the benchmark, the reference, and um, you know they they know how to not just to build a car, but how to go racing with it. And uh, you know, it, like with any BOP formula, there's going to be places where cars are quick, cars are slow, but typically Corvette racing, no matter what model, what year, into their kind of process with their their current car they are they're always there or thereabouts so it'll be it'll be a a tough year i'm sure but we're looking forward to it it'll yeah. be good yeah absolutely well i think we'll get on to perhaps the we'll start with uh we'll move on to the next obvious thing which is what most people will know you for and then we'll get on some uh some perhaps more um interesting and unusual anecdotes as we go along but uh obviously most people know you as the 2015 le mans winner on your one-off outing in an lmp1 car at the time yeah pretty remarkable so i guess just talk us through briefly how you came to to get that drive in the first place um because obviously you're part of porsche's gt program for several seasons before then it wasn't an easy process actually when i joined porsche in 2013 I'd kind of been doing a, a few bits and pieces for them for a couple of years um, previously, but I joined as a factory driver in thirteen, and um, and it was already announced that they were they were going LMP1 racing, um, but you know this was something that never kind of occurred to me at the time because you know I was I was happy to to be within the family and um, and you know becoming a factory driver and and getting to race all over the world, but then. Um, in in 2014 when i joined let's say the factory team in in imsa um you know i i kind of realized that um perhaps they could you know i had the ability for them to to use me in in their factory stuff in everything they do and i i honestly believe that and um yeah and there was an an um an announcement that they were planning to run 
an extra car for Le Mans, not just for 15, but, you know, for, for years going forward. It was the original plan. And uh, I kind of, I kept quiet, but I was hoping that somebody might speak to me about it. And, uh, and the phone call never came. And then I saw that a couple of my colleagues got a test with a view to, to racing in this, this third car. And again, kind of the, the call never came. And uh, so in the end, I, I went directly to, to Mr. Seidel and, uh, and put my case forward. Said, you know, I think I could do a good job for you and your, your team. And uh, would you be interested in letting me drive it? And uh, yeah, um, eventually he, he, he rolled over and said, yeah, come to Aragon and do a test. And that was kind of the, the rest. The rest was, was history. The, the test went really well. Um, there was a few of us that tested at the time within the the factory squad, if you like, as well as them looking for for people outside of Porsche for this extra car, and uh, and yeah, it was. I think it was off the back back of the the first test that we did at Aragon. It kind of opened their eyes up to to the level of drivers that they already had within Porsche, and and then they invited Earl a few months later um, to also test and of course he was ballistic in it as well so yeah that kind of that kind of set the team up yeah so you ended up sharing that car with um el bamba and nico holkenberg um but your quadruple stint during the night is one of the sort of moments picked out if you like as, as, as to what decided the race between you and the and the, the other car the other team car so what do you remember about that was that did you feel that it was crucial at the time or were you just in the zone yeah how, you know, how, how how did it how did it go um well obviously you know one quadruple stint it doesn't make a whole race and uh and everyone well i mean all, all three of us were um you know we did the best job that was clear because we won the race um that that weekend but yeah it was kind of i do remember that time of the the race because i i don't know if you remember we we dropped back initially because there was three cars and we were all pitting together we had to pit off sequence from the very first stop and um and because we were running third at the time or even fourth behind one of the audis um we came in a couple of laps earlier than than we could do and basically, it put us off sequence, and we caught a safety car very early on, which put us a third of a lap behind, right from the start. So this was kind of, oh, here we go, you know, this is it's, it's going to be on a downward spiral. But going into the evening, the race was was running green, and uh, and we were the fastest car on the track, and we were we were closing up. And I remember, I was sitting in the in the pit garage, kind of following the race, getting ready for my next stint. And this was when we were starting to, to quadruple stint the tyres because it was going into the night and, um, you know, we were happy that the, the tyres could could last the, the quadruple stint. And, yeah, I was watching and uh, Nico was in the car. He was the driver before me. And over the course of a couple of hours, he pulled in probably, I don't know, 20, 30-odd seconds to the to the leaders, which at the time I think there was a couple of Audis and uh, and the number 17 Porsche. I just remember thinking, you know, we've we could do this. This could be this could be our chance. The car looks quick. We knew that we'd set it up for, um, you know, the long run and especially the the balance that we expected in the night. It was slightly different to to the philosophy of the other two cars. Oh, that was a conscious decision, was it? Yeah, yeah. Because the 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 track tends to um, to migrate into a, you know, the the way the the car balance develops and also into the night. You know, if you start to lose front tire temperature then it's very difficult to manage the car. So we kind of 
gone for this philosophy a bit in in the first place. And yeah, when I saw us pulling time back, I thought this is you know, we, if we really go for it now, we could we could get in front and we could start making this a race. And uh, and yeah, I got in and. You know, there wasn't any cars passing me, and I was passing lots of other cars, but I didn't really know what was happening. There was, you know, general updates during the the sort of three hours, um, three hours twenty that I was out there. But I came back in after we changed driver again, and looked up at the timing screens, and you know, once everyone had got on sequence with pit stops, and we got quite a decent lead. So um, yeah, it was good. It was the first time I think I've said before. It was the first time I said to the people in the team that I felt really as one with that car you know it was in in the night on my own you know knowing that I was going to be out there for over three hours it's when when you get into you know you really know a, a vehicle you know a car and you th- you feel like you can if anything happens you can be able to you'll be able to react and, and catch a slide or deal with traffic or whatever and um, you know with the the hybrid stuff it was all managing the the energy, the energy things like the the fuel and the um, the boost, the hybrid boost, and kind of getting your head around how to best use all this, and especially at Le Mans when it's so traffic dependent, everything just felt right. And yeah, from that point on, I don't think we were we were overtaken, and it was uh, it was a pretty good day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've spoken to other singles. Well, you went through this obviously, you know, a few years ago drivers that go from single-seater racing or Formula 1 to endurance racing sometimes find it difficult to go, right, well, I'm now working with these guys instead of, yeah, because you're always comparing yourself to your teammates. So how did Hulkenberg fit into the lineup um, of you, you kind of more experienced endurance racers? Did he play the game or was he, you know, was he awkward? No, that side of it, he was absolutely, he was perfect, you know, because I think he quite enjoyed the whole um, camaraderie, if you like, of having having teammates because... You know, I can imagine how the the tension gets when you're in a, you know, you're in a, in a Formula One environment, for instance, when it's it's two guys on two different sides of the garage. Um, so I think he he really got involved and, and enjoyed that. Um, he had to be taught a little bit of how to use a a sports car over over how you know a, a single seater works. But uh, yeah, he soon got the hang of that as well. And um, it was it was just a great week. The three of us had great fun together. Uh, we had an awesome party afterwards with the whole team over in Stuttgart, um, and yeah, it was you know it's, it, thinking back now, it was just uh, there wasn't one bad memory from the whole the whole process that led up to um, that race at Le Mans. Obviously, you know you go on to then think what happened afterwards, and it, it becomes a bit of a bitter taste. But uh, yeah, that was. It, it was one of the best times of my life. Yeah, it really was. And actually, the season was remarkable for you, wasn't it? Because you won Petit Le Mans overall in the GT Porsche. You helped Patrick Pilot win the drivers' championship. You also rocked up for some wet rounds uh, in LMP2 and won a couple of those races. You were eighth in the Autosport uh, Drivers of the Year top fifty rating at the end of the season as well. Only eighth, Kev. Uh, only eighth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a great year. Does it stand out to you as you know that was a you know, a pretty special year. Was that more just that circumstances went your way better that year? It was the circumstances. I wouldn't say I drove better that year than than last year, for example, or, or the previous year in 2014. But it just so happened that I had the opportunities um, in different vehicles and different classes, uh, and 
and competitive opportunities. And this was this is the other thing. It just happened that I was I was in the right cars at the right time, and and yeah, managed to do a good job. Um, and we had a lot of success. It was it was obviously a great year for me. It was a great year for Porsche. Um, and like you say, I did some some extra stuff, things like the KCMG LMP2 stuff, and we won with that. We won at the Nurburgring, the championship in 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 IMSA. Um, they won the WEC championship, of course, in in P1 and also GT. Not that I helped with that, but you know, as a as a global company overview, it was it was amazing. Um, and yeah, it was. It was just one of those years where I got these these opportunities, and it was stuff like the LMP2 stuff that the the Porsche wanted me to get some experience for future potential, um, you know, prototype drives. So it wasn't kind of anything planned. It all just sort of came up, and um, yeah, to to finish at Petit and and win the race overall in a GT car, that was just that was unbelievable. I watched the the video of it a few few weeks ago actually i think we were over in daytona and it was yeah i think that was even more remarkable than the the le mans thing because at le mans kind of we had the the quickest car and we were kind of we had a good shot at it whereas uh, at petit you know nobody expected us and we we really shouldn't the way the the race worked out and with the the safety cars and things like this dropping behind the prototypes every time it was really against the odds but uh yeah it was it was good it was a wet one, wasn't it? That one, and you've always been you've always been quick in the wet. One of my memories of you is the 2006 France Hatch Formula Fe- Ford Festival, which you somehow managed, I think, four <laughs> spins and still crossed the line first at the end, and then had it yeah. taken. I mean, it, kind of typical Tandy drama, really. That but that one. was a brilliant race, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, it was among the most remarkable races I've ever seen. Um, but you you, hint, you mentioned it just now. Obviously, you say great success 2015, and then it kind of. Things didn't go as they should have done, thanks to well, it's thanks to Dieselgate and all that sort of stuff. So, how difficult was it to have got the LMP one chance, have nailed it, and then sort of for it to go away again? Was that a difficult it thing was, to it, get back into the swing of GTs? It wasn't. It wasn't difficult to um, to go back, and it wasn't difficult to accept because I understood the reasons. But it was just so heartbreaking, you know, having having done all that and reached you know put your life and soul into into the first place going out of your way and and trying to to get the drive and and having possible repercussions the other way um if people didn't like what you were doing um to go through all that and then get the drive and 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 win the race to then realize that you wouldn't have a chance to go back you know with um to go back and defend it that was yeah it was heartbreaking and um you know, luckily we did get the chance a couple of years after, but but I've never been able to defend my my victory in the race, if you like. So, you know, I I understood why, of course, um, the, the the financial aspects and 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 things like this. But yeah, after the after the jubilation of a whole year of of racing and living on the back of this this amazing year that we'd achieved to then find out at the end that uh, life was changing very quickly was, yeah, it was pretty tough to take. Mm. And then Porsche obviously showed their faith, belief, whatever you want to call it, in you in 2017 when you got the, uh, another chance uh, in the LMP1 for, for the full season. Um, but the luck didn't quite shine you there either because you basically had Le Mans 2017 in the bag, if I recall correctly. I think I was watching at Brands Hatch for some reason. I can't remember why I was there now. Um and 
uh, and you in front and the car broke and because of we that, were 16 laps in front yeah yeah well because it was the it was the year where the where everyone where, where, where everyone broke it was like a 1970s yeah. one where all the cars were breaking instead of just the bulletproof reliability that we'd become used to um but that had a knock-on effect for the rest of the year didn't it because then you had to support the other car that ended up winning trying to win the championship um so is that a bit frustrating as well? Is it just cool to be in the LMP1 car again and see where that would oh, take you? It was cool up to watching the car stop on the straight on the TV, you know. Um, of course, it was amazing to get the chance to race the full championship and go for a world championship and get back in the team and um, <clears throat> and race the car again. And, um, yeah, the season was going pretty well. And uh, and like you say, we we didn't just lose the the race at Le Mans. We lost the world championship because after at that point, if we'd have won, then the team orders would have been to support our car for the rest of the season because there was a big fight. The Toyota was generally quicker than us, um, so the the emphasis went onto one car very quickly. You know, after three rounds of the championship, that was it. There was no there was no question. The other car was finishing in front. Losing a Le Mans win and a 100% record, of course, which would have been nice. It also meant we eventually lost the, the World Championship. So it was it was tough to take. But again, it's it's motorsport. You know, these things these things happen. And uh, and at the end of the day, we're there to do to do a job for the for the team and the manufacturer. So, um, you know, you you do the best that you can and you you understand and, and respect the team orders and hope that at some point in the future then then things will come your way. I'm going to embarrass you slightly now um, because the, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is uh, um, is your uh, record of jumping into random cars and championships and nailing it because uh, you've got a kind of a bit of a reputation for I this. won an open hot rod, hot rod race at, uh, at Brayfield, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> now that's one not on my list. Yeah, I, should, I, should, I should I should add, add that in, um, but it's everything from. I remember you drove uh, at club level. You drove uh, Ben Anderson's Formula V. What a terrible one, thing that was! Won the race <laughs> with a lap record. Um, Formula Palmer Audi, the shootout at Sneston in two thousand seven, earned you a place. That was a um, good one. Yeah. McLaren will sort BRDC yeah. award um, against all the regulars we've been doing all year. Um, following year, Porsche Carrera Cup one-off outing we perhaps shouldn't talk to Tim Bridgman about those two races we'll come back to that yes. time. Um, <laughs> but won one of those uh, races and even I think in 2013 you were invited by Motorbase to go and drive the Ford Focus um, BTCC car at Snetterton and I think we're pretty much quick, you know, immediately quicker than the in, regular in so, testing yeah. in testing yeah, yeah. Not, in the, not in the race so so yeah, some drivers do take a bit of time to to get up to speed. You know, we see it quite regularly in the award tests that some drivers just come out and nail, and others take a bit longer to get up to it. So, what, why do you think it is that you seem to not take that time? You're sort of in and on on the limit, sort of straight away. What would you put that down to? I don't know. I, I, <laughs> what What do you think? <laughs> I do have a theory, but I want you to. Uh... I guess it comes. I, I mean, I, I don't know because. Obviously, everyone's trying to drive the vehicle as fast as possible, but there's a limit to how, um, you know, there's obviously a very fine line between going fast and going a little bit too fast and and having a spin or a crash or, or something. And I just assume it's a level of, I don't know, commitment or um, willingness to 
try and be on that limit enough or you know quick enough maybe also it's a a consequence of you know the disregard of the what could happen the other way if you like or not disregard but the the not having a fear of failure you know a fear of if you you know you go in lock up or you know have a spin or something stupid but yeah i don't know i i i imagine it comes a lot from um you know my my stock car days because it was the same in when we started circuit racing in the minis and it was the same in the formula ford stuff um you know we we never did um you know nowadays we do end, endless pre-season testing and we always test before a race weekend and stuff like this so you kind of know what you're doing before you get there but we never used to do this you just rock up in qualifying and there was a lot of people in a similar situation but they they wouldn't be able to get on top of it quick so i assume it comes from the you know the early schooling the the stock car days when you had a 12 lap race and there was no practice you went out for heat one and you know you always had to start at the back of the grid how they work the the stock cars with the um you know the fast cars at the back there was no time to to mess around you got stuck in from even before you got to the line when the green flag went and you're on the back stretch you you got stuck in straight away because if you hesitated you're never going to do anything you know the other quick guys would be in front of you and you'd never be able to to get it back so i don't know what do you think? Ken? Well, I no, you. I mean, you have covered off a lot of what I what I sort of had in mind. I've been fortunate enough to um, obviously see a lot of your career since the Formula Ford days, um, I, and I sort of put it down to hooning around on the farm. I think probably with with your brother Joe as well in different bits of machinery, just getting used to cars or, or vehicles yep. moving around under yep. you, and then the sort of yeah, the no holds barred mini stocks, and then into minis racing. Um, and I I get the impression that you're quite uh, it was like this when you um, turned up to drive the uh, World Series from, um, from Formula Renault, effectively three yes. and a half liter at Snetterton, which actually, with hindsight, <laughs> was a ridiculous car for Snetterton. But to drive, uh, you had confidence in being able to sort out something when it happened. Um, so that means you can get to the get to the limit and then go right there it is, and I'll come back from it rather than the oh a little bit quicker this lap, a little bit quicker that lap. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Uh, and I think that's also contributed to your overtaking because i remember you in when you're doing british f3 in 2008 2009 you're one of the few people because some formula 3 races let's face it can be incredibly tedious in terms of overtaking yes but uh yeah you pulled off a few overtaking moves there they didn't always work but something would happen i always think you're a good person (laughs) to have in the field because you're never someone that's just going to follow another car for the entire distance of race and go oh well that was good yeah that's right (laughs) you've got it you've got to you've got to try haven't you that's what we always used to see in the the Formula Three stuff. You know, people would just sit there without kind of trying, which which was never. It was never the way we were we were brought up to go racing. But it's funny you say the like the the Formula Renault the World Series thing. I mean that that autosport the the Maba test. I mean that was kind of set up for me, wasn't it? You know, it drive three different cars and have ten laps at it. And if I'd kind of, I mean, looking back now. You know, I I didn't need to drive. I didn't need to, to turn the car in off the grass at Richie's. Um, you know, on the final run of the day. But uh, yeah, if I'd known what I'd known now um, about the differences in the way that drivers do go about things, then I probably would have gone into it a bit differently. Um, it might have changed the result, but then it could have changed my life spectacularly in a in a in a different way. So um, 
yeah, it was no, it was no bad thing in the end. Yeah, it works. It's all, all's well that ends well, I suppose. In, uh, yeah, in that regard, I also wonder whether you spent quite a long time once you came out of minis. So obviously, you did um, BRDC single seaters and won the championship in its first se- in your first season, two thousand and five. Then you stepped in British Formula Ford, which was going through something of a revival at the time in the new Duratec engine. Um, but from that moment on, pretty much until you got into Porsches, it always seemed like you were in the wrong chassis. So you were in a ray when the Magal was the car to have in Formula Ford, and then when you stepped up into Formula <laughs> yeah. Three, you were in the Magal when everyone else had a, a Dallara. And I just wonder whether that may have honed your uh, abilities to get the most out of the equipment that you that you had. Well, yeah, I'm sure it did as well. Um, you know, because when it's when it's not easy to 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 win or be competitive, then you need to to try that a little bit harder. I guess it was no bad thing. We had the cars that I raced. We had because we had the the option of of getting hold of the cars to race them. You know the um, basically the the other options weren't on the table, if you like. So and it gave us the it gave us the option to have the cars in our workshop and being under the um, under the spanners in the hands of us of basically me and my brother. Um, and the rest of the people that then joined us once we once we started getting the F three kind of serious, um, and I think that that again taught me a lot based on you know the un, the understanding of the sport and what goes into it, um, even a, a well, especially at a professional level, you know, racing for Porsche now and understanding that um, you know the amount of work, the amount of time, the dedication, the stress that goes into trying to to compete against other people, basically, and to try and build a build a car that um, you know you can give to a driver that that's that you, that you're happy with that that can that can go and compete. So it was it was a great time, and I really I really did love the time in in the British Formula Ford and the F3 because it was it was back still when it was there was an open they were open formulas really. You know, if you wanted to develop a new rear suspension. You develop your own rear suspension. If you wanted to to mess around with the aero on a on a Formula Three car, okay, we didn't have a wind tunnel at um, Hilltop Race Developments, <laughs> but uh, you know there was stuff that we we played around with. You know, we we just took the car apart winter and looked at it and went, mm, we could do this and we could do that, and you know, the, especially the Formula Ford stuff, we used to mess around so much with all sorts of stuff, and uh, it was a, it was great fun. It was great fun to go racing and and yeah, it was that competition of trying to get a competitive advantage on on the rest that drove the ambition to to go racing. And I, I think I've said to you before, it's the the driving point of um, of racing is is not what I really enjoy. It's the the competition, the being being in direct competition with another machine or another man or another you know another team whatever it's um and that's it was it was just such a great time in in racing yeah to have to have our own car in the workshop and all these ideas and then to for for the driver which was which was me to then go out and try and and finish the job yeah, I think you're it what, makes you competitive. You're what Sterling Moss <laughs> would describe as a racer. I think is probably the probably the way to put it. You, you like the wheel to wheel combat. I mean, you does that now? Does that extend to the the mental side? Because you were quite 
good and I, I I'm never sure if it's bit I think it probably was deliberate because I think you're that kind of sort of street fighter mentality really are quite good at getting under the skin of your of your opposition I remember in Formula 4 days um, Peter Dempsey hitting you, hitting you with a trophy <laughs> after one particular race yeah I really got um, to him yeah you got to him um, you and Callum McLeod had a had a pretty bruising rivalry actually because he, he tended to have the quicker car and actually was he actually kind of withstood the, the mental attack quite well within the car but then obviously outside the car it didn't go down so well but did you was that something that you did sort of try and get to rivals a bit and, and do you still or is it a bit different mentality in, in, in endurance racing was it on purpose yes I, I won't lie it's like boxers and stuff like that driving and racing is not a it's not an athletic sport I mean you've got to be capable of driving a car for so long and you know the faster the car gets it gets harder and and blah blah blah. but but at the end of the day it's a mental sport everything you do is defined by what's in your mind in the brdc sort of single seater days when i was dominating out front it was it was easy you know we're all friends and everyone you know there was no (laughs) reason to to mess around because it we, we were winning and it was it wasn't easy but we were winning and there was you know, there was no need to change anything. But, um, yeah, when it got to a situation where um, I wasn't always the fastest on track, um, you know, I realised I had to come up with other ways of trying to beat people. When there's opportunity to, to wind people up, then, yeah, I went ahead and did it. And um, And to a certain degree, I still do, if I think it benefits my result or my team. But it's become much more, the endurance stuff and with the team sport side of it, it's become much more, or it's much less singular defined, of course. You know, less when intense in terms of your relationship yeah. with other drivers. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's maybe better to have good relationships with people um, than, than bad ones. Whereas, it, at the t- you know, when it's one-on-one competition, if somebody is thinking about you in front and thinking how much they hate you or thinking about what's happened previously or what's going to happen then they're not concentrating 100% on on their job so or what's happening at the time so it's it can only be an advantage and it and it has been an advantage in the past but uh I don't know I I kind of also like the the conflicts of of personalities I've never when you're when you're in competition with people they're not going to be your friends because all you want to do is beat them so if they're not going to be your friends, then why not enjoy a bit of bit of conflict? It's a bit like you know, it's I don't know, it's ingrained into human the human condition. Yeah, that mm. you, you at some point you've quite fancy having a scrap just for having a scrap, you know, for no particular reason. And uh, I guess yeah, in my younger years, I was probably a bit more feisty like this. Um, so are there any uh, particular races uh, in your early days? Um, let's say pre becoming a factory driver in 2013 or, or, or maybe even joining the the you know the GT the actual the actual Porsche team in 2014 that sort of stand out to you I mean obviously we talked about that ridiculous Formula Ford Festival drive are there any others that you think yeah that was a particularly good one or a particularly dramatic one yeah there's a couple actually there was one there was one race um I do remember at Thruxton so when the the Formula Fours used to go to Thruxton I mean, it was oh, it was mega stuff. Yeah. That was yeah, and of you course know. they were quicker than the F three cars in a straight line, yeah. weren't they? In those oh yeah, days. yeah, to like yeah. one hundred and sixty mile an hour. But it was it was two thousand seven, and we were we were going for the championship against Callum, and you know the 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 big Jamin team and all this, and uh, 
And um, <clears throat> I think we had, yeah, we had, we must have had two races there. And we were quick, but on the back straight, um, I quickly realised that if if I was in front in the last lap, I could not stop him, overtake him before the last chicane. And similarly, if I was behind, this is a coming out of church, so you know, let's, let's see the pair of us are going to be battling for the, for the second race. If I was behind, I could not pass him, you know, in, in the tow because of the, the drag of our, our cars, because we had different, different cars, different chassis. So, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're going through the race, and I, I quickly work this out because the first few laps, you know, I'm in front and he just drives past, and then when I'm behind, um, I can't get past him. You know, the rest of the lap was a we could fight, but I knew if on the last lap coming to the to the to the run, mm, the crucial the flag, bit before yeah, the chicane, there's nothing the I flag. could do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I can't remember entirely. I think we I managed to get in front and really backed him up in the in the slow stuff and and got a, a few others, probably Linton Stutley and some other boys involved. Um, and it was just a case of trying to control the race at the at the um, around the slow stuff to get other people involved, and then just try and make a big enough gap out the back so that I could hold it to the to the chicane. And this went on for I don't know a few laps, and um, and yeah, I just managed to 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 back him up enough into the pack with I don't know a lap and a half to go, and got a break, and managed to. You know, to have big enough gap on the last lap to 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 get there, but I thought that was, um, you know, tactically one of my best races, and it, I mean, it certainly was at the time to to win there. And I, you know, I out I outthought the the pack. It wasn't by, um, you know, driving the best or or having the the quickest car. It was by out outthinking people. You know, if he'd perhaps realised what was happening and 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 not kind of. Um, fought so much in in areas of the track then we perhaps wouldn't been able to i wouldn't been able to to get the others involved but um yeah this was it was it was one of these that that i i don't remember a lot of the early stuff my memory is not the the best but this was this was one i've got more down somewhere don't worry it's fine (laughs) (laughs) there'll be an autosport covered at some point yeah yeah well actually one that um and i guess this is perhaps a bit more crucial in terms of uh your future you know career at that point was um, i remember your outings in 2013 in porsche career cup when uh david bartram at motorbase came to you and he'd been running Michael Caine and tim harvey 12 2012 yeah was it oh oh, no could be no it was 11 because it was Hang the on, year let me I won. Check the... my notes. Yeah, it's 2011. Yeah. I've way overshot. Yeah. Way overshot. 2011. Yeah, they've been running um, Tim Harvey, and Michael Kane. Both have been very successful Porsche drivers, but were both struggling. And I think David decided want to find out whether it was them or the car. Really, um, popped you in for Silverstone and Brands Hatch. And my two memories mm. of those ones are one. Tim and Michael watching you. I think at Surtees, and you coming past, and Tim saying some of the lines of. Oh, that's how he's supposed to drive it, which I thought was very <laughs> magnanimous of him. And then Silverstone, when in the first race, I think you won by a couple of seconds. And James Sutton, who I think was second, is something along the lines of, I've never driven so hard behind someone who's obviously so comfortable. And then the following day, you won by, I think it was something like 16 seconds yeah, or something. 16 which, point something. Which around Silverstone National is a bit ridiculous. So by then, obviously, you're into an environment where you've got more equal, paris, you know, more equal equipment. 
Um, so that's when you started to, to make waves. And I guess you'd already started driving for Franz Conrad at, at that point, who we should probably talk about as being quite a key person in getting you yeah. into the Porsche Porsche family, really. Yeah, well, those races the back end of 11, um, it was the year that I won the, the German Cup, the Carrera Cup. So um, I'd been racing the car in both the Super Cup and the Deutsche Cup um, for two years. And of course, you know, we were front runners in the in the Super Cup, finished second in that and won the won the German Cup. So yeah, so David approached me to to, to have a go in the car and and see what I thought. And and yeah, it was um I mean it was it was great because um it was a great introduction to 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 Mr. Bartram, who's still a good friend. Um, and and the team of boys there, and also into the Carrera Cup GB because, like you mentioned before, I'd done a guest appearance a, a few years mm. before. Yeah, no eight, wasn't it that one? Yeah, but never. Uh, I'd never raced in the championship, so it was only these two weekends, and it was the back end of the year, and I think we'd already won the German championship, or there was one round to go, or something. And uh, yeah, it was really good at Silverstone. We we managed to pull a blinder at Silverstone because. I think at the time it was your two fastest laps in quali were for race one and, and race two. And basically everyone had two sets of tyres for the, the quali in the two races. And and Silverstone is hard on the left-hand side tyres, of course, because mm. it's mm. it goes right, right, left, right, <laughs> and <laughs> repeats. You don't do a lot of turning left, yeah. there, do you, really? I mean, it's a great track. I love it. But um, it's it's very hard on the, on the left side tyres. So... The, the plan was to try and get these two laps for a pole out of one set of tyres at the start of the session when the because of course you've got to fuel the car as well so it's it's normally quicker on the second run but we managed to do it so we you know we sat there and parked the car and and we got this brand new set of tyres left for the um for the second race obviously the the first race everyone's kind of on equal tyres but then then we had this huge advantage and won by half a lap so again it was it was kind of pre uh, pre-race tactics or you know pre-race thinking that got got us in that position obviously having a car good enough to to do um two laps on a on a first set of tires was helpful as well yes yes <laughs> <laughs> actually i think i'd have to check this but i've got a feeling your porsche career cup gb record is six starts four wins I'd have to check that because you're 208. It will uh, be, yeah. Because and uh, and you're leading <laughs> yeah. the other. What you lead because you won two both at Silverstone, one at Brands. The other one you were leading you had a puncture. Yep. And your yep. guest drives, you had one win and one clash with them. One smashed into the wall. Tim Bridgman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he liked it when I won the first race. No. Well, he was fi- <laughs> well, he was fighting for the championship, wasn't he? Yeah. And you were a guest driver, and I guess. But he why might- get involved with me? Because you annoyed him go. by winning the FPA shootout at the end of the year well, before. Yeah. I suspect, and I think that that's the case of someone. He he would have been better off letting you go, really, yeah. and getting yeah. the maximum points. But um, yeah, we sort of sort of digress. Uh, yeah, you're right. Four di- out of six. That's not bad. Is it? Yeah, I'd, I'd only literally could only have just thought that. Potentially been, six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm not going back. So one one thing I sort of did want to sort of uh, touch upon before you talk about your your team um, and and team boss role really is when it comes to championships, like your championship wins record isn't as good as your race wins record right, we've Kev. already talked about <laughs> <laughs> oh dear i'm getting a look now um 2015 was because you were helping everyone else win championships yeah rather than having your own um, didn't do a full one yeah um, 
and and in and in two th- and in Formula Four and Formula Three. I mean, British Formula Three in two thousand nine would was perhaps inter- would have been interesting had he done the full season because no, it wouldn't. No, was it not? Because you started well, but you had yeah. Daniel Ricciardo and the Carl tracks in coming up, up against, weren't, weren't going to suit us. And fair yeah. enough. But you never know. But, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, and the early days, obviously, with the sort of the, the kit and uh, as you say, being involved in a few incidents. But do you think you've become since then a, a better championship driver? And it's really just a matter of the op- you know the opportunity. Obviously, help Patrick win in in twenty fifteen. Is is it particularly important to you that winning a championship, or is it more about winning sort of the big races? Um, it's important, of course. But I think I think as important are the big races. If not, if not more, you know, I remember um, when I was kind of getting into the Porsche stuff, looking at people's CVs, and it was when you see three times Sebring winner or you know two time Nurburgring twenty four winner, it was like wow, you know, seeing that they're all right, maybe a, you know, win a world championship, that's also a massive thing, um, but you don't really look down and see if they're I don't know. German Formula 3 champion or, or something it's uh, yeah I guess now because I'm more involved in that side of the sport it's these these big races that uh, that really draw my attention but of course you know you get to the end of the year and you everyone wants to win a championship um, and it is something that I've looked at the, the last couple of years and, and trying to figure out where or how to limit the bad weekends, um, and it's you know it's difficult obviously now because we have multiple driver uh, races and and obviously different, um, very different cars that go well at different very different tracks. But uh, I I count the 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 manufacturer championships that we won in LMP1. I would say that I was a champion that year um, because I think I contributed um, you know more than enough for that. And also the to be part of the winning team in uh, in IMSA in fifteen because I was there for ninety percent of the time. Yeah. But you know you can't you just can't put a drivers championship on your on your, your your record. But it doesn't really bother me that much. Would you like the opportunity to do a single driver category again? Like to, if, if it was just a and is there is there any particular championship that you would fancy a go? I mean, obviously, I know you're you know you're sort of a, a long term Porsche factory driver. Now, but there must be other <laughs> There's things. There's a few that things in America I wouldn't mind having a go at. Ah, oh, yes, this is your NASCAR <laughs> love. One of the areas of disagreement we have. But uh, I mean, I, just- don't, I don't miss the the single driver stuff. No, um, I I enjoy the team aspect of of uh, endurance racing, and and I don't just mean the, the the team of drivers. I mean the whole team being involved in how a race goes. Um, and and developing that team and that relationship and how a team goes about being competitive, um, I miss the a little bit the you know the the whole build up and crescendo of a, a sprint race and you know leading into a to a standing start and stuff like this. But there's not a formula that I would say oh I'd I'd like to go and do that. Um, I you know I I'd, I'd I've always been a big fan of stock car racing in the UK and the States so I'd, I'd like to to try that on an oval one day but maybe just as a you know a pay driver and go and have a have a go um, I you know I, I wouldn't like to race in the series because I wouldn't like to commit to 37 weekends in in it's the States. pretty full on isn't it yeah. yeah so no there isn't there isn't something that I'd rather be racing at the moment maybe touring cars 
I'd love to have a go at British Touring Car one day. Race in, in my home country, race on all the UK tracks again. I don't get to race in the UK anymore. I did one one race in the last two, three years, I think, in the UK. So, yeah, maybe maybe that's a, a goal for yeah. a time to come. We should have to have a chat with Adam and Gat about that. I'm sure he'd be, he'd be keen. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> for people that may not be familiar with it, the, the classic endurance race wins you've had... Um, Three Petit Le Mans class wins, including an outright win. Obviously, the Le Mans outright win we talked about. Yeah. Daytona 24 <coughs> class win. Mm-hmm. Sebring 12 hours a couple of times. Going um, for a hat-trick. Yeah, going for a hat-trick uh, shortly. Uh, outright winner, Nebrigan 24 hours. True. And ca- the revived Carl Army 9 hours. That's pretty fever. Um, but I, there's something wrong with Spa, because second at Spa, 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, 3.3 seconds. Oh, so that's... I mean, uh, uh, we should have dominated that race as well. Last year. <laughs> yeah, I know you're you're frustrated, but I mean, is that? I, I know that you know. Obviously, you're you're doing the job weekend by weekend, but is that the kind of the one that stands out? About yeah, that'd be cool to get that to complete the set. Or are there other races that are also kind of on your on your radar? No, I mean, Spa is the, is the only let's say big one that's missing. Um, honestly, and it would be, it would be nice. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I yeah. think <laughs> when when we won Sebring in. What was it? Eighteen the first time, that kind of completed the set of um, like Le Mans spec car races. So Le Mans, Sebring, Petit, and uh, and Daytona with the old ALMS and you know the ELMS and those kind of classic endurances. And um, and then yeah, then then we won Nurburgring, and that was three of the big four twenty-four hour races. So. Spa is left. It is it is a goal, but you know it's not something that I look at and circle in my calendar as as the big one. Yeah, um, you got too much, too many other things going on. Yeah, you for that? it'd be nice, but it's it, it wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't feel I've missed out if uh, if it doesn't get added to to the stuff you've just listed. Because my goodness, thinking four years ago, if I'd have won one of them, I would have been unbelievably. Well, I was when we won Petit in 2013. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> You look at all these the CVs of people that have that are factory drivers at Porsche and they've won kind of a race like that. You just think, wow, you know. And uh, and now I've yeah, we've managed to 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 add a few more to it. So I'm pretty happy how it is already. Yeah, it's not uh, not that we're stopping. Sorry, no, 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 absolutely <laughs> not. No, quite fancy another couple of Le Mans. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Overall wins. Yeah. Well, our class win would be pretty fever there yeah. as well, to be yeah. honest. But uh, yeah. Uh, joining us for the next uh, part of this Nick Tandy podcast special, I think we can can we call it that, um, is uh, Group National Editor Stephen Licorice, who um, has co- covers um, a lot of the racing that uh, Nick's team, JTR, have been involved with. So, uh, yeah, Stephen, uh, any particular highlights? I guess you're quite a fan of Dan Harper, aren't you, who won the Porsche Carrera Cup Championship last year with Nick's team? Yeah, well, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, I think Dan's performances over the last couple of seasons have been incredible and have really brought a huge amount of success to Nick's team. Uh, in particular, his performance last year when he absolutely dominated uh, the Porsche Carrera Cup GB Championship, uh, taking a huge number of wins, poles, podiums, fastest laps. Uh, it was just a really, really impressive performance from someone who is still only a teenager it was great to watch actually um yeah i mean dan drove exceptional last year um 
and the championship was was competitive but yes you know he he made it look easy he didn't have bad days we saw in his first year and bear in mind i think when he first started driving the porsche he was still 16 you know so his first year he's 17 years old um he was quick straight away and apart from his first race at brands i remember um it doesn't quite show on the sectors but he 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 got traffic in <clears throat> in um in clearways i think and he was on for the pole lap you know it was it was quicker than 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 our other boys and and we knew what the distance was to the actual pole winner he could have been on fo- on pole for his first race what i'm saying and uh yeah he was just he was quick but he was raw in the first year probably a bit like me to be honest um you know took a bit of time to realize when to use the aggression and when to to settle and um and yeah we had a you know i had a good chat with him uh, before the start of last year and said look this is you've you've shown how quick you are you there's no need everyone knows this everyone knows this you just need to show that you can win a championship now that you can do the job um if you want people like Porsche to 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 look at potentially taking you on in the future and and what he did was just it was like the most epic season I've I've seen from a driver. You know, I think every time he needed to be on pole, he was on pole, won the first race, boom, big points, job done. And then in the second race, when there was a chance to to go forward, he did, or not, he'd settle for the points. And uh, and yeah, it was it was just really good. And he deserves every every opportunity that came, and he's he's got a great one, a really really good one with BMW now. That's it. That and it shows what those sort of performances can do for your career how much no you know, sort of manufacturers take notice of, of what's going on and the fact that he's now part of the revived bmw junior team is a huge accolade for him i remember i was at the uh, junior shootout for the porsche gb junior this was at the end of 2017 it would have been and he was just considering he was straight out janetta junior which is completely different to a to a career cup car and he was just on the pace straight away right from the start and it was clear from that moment that he was going to be pretty special in that car and and he certainly backed that up over the, the last two seasons yeah that's it you know he was he, he, like you say with this BMW junior thing he you know he's got the potential to have a job for life you do a good job and BMW companies like BMW Porsche Mercedes you know they're they're always going to be racing something, and if you can get if you can get a foot in, that's the hardest thing. And to do that at eighteen years old, um, you know, it, but he's not just quick; he's got the right attitude. Um, he's a smart guy. Um, you know, he he knows when to be professional and when to to in, you know have fun with the the rest of the people around him. It's uh, it's Porsche's loss, but unfortunately, they didn't have position for um, let's say a, a junior driver at the time, so. Yeah, when he phoned me and said he'd got this opportunity, I said, you need to go to Munich now. And uh, and luckily he did. So good luck to him. I'll see him at the Nürburgring, actually. We'll be racing together in uh, in May, I think. <laughs> is that something you... Is that part of the team management you quite enjoy? It sounds like you're quite enthused about, you know, if you find someone that can really deliver or, or is that offset slightly by the ones that perhaps are a little bit more hard work? <laughs> uh, slightly leading question yeah. there. I enjoy working with... with you know all drivers um of course it's it's nice to see when you see progress really um but of course you know there's ones that you get on with um well and and 
you know, or, or ones that you really get on with that you'd like to see um, have opportunities and ones that deserve opportunities just to, you know, to see that, that, that something comes out of it. It gives you satisfaction as a, a team boss, as a team owner, if you like, um, that you've, you've given this guy an, an opportunity. And, and that's exactly why we kept the, the team going. You know, it's, it's Joe Tandy racing. It's not Nick Tandy, and it's um, it's a continuation of what my brother did for me um, to give me a chance to go and race these Formula Fours and Formula Threes and try and get on the on the ladder, get noticed. So yeah, it's it's vindication of that that hard work. And there was a lot of hard work between sort of two thousand nine and I don't know, sort of fourteen. It was it was really really hard and. Uh, at 99% of the time I had no idea why I was doing it um, most of the time now I still don't um, but uh, yeah at the time there was there was other things to, to look after um, within the team more than my own um, feelings or, or life if you like you know it, after after my brother passed away it was it was very important to, to keep the keep the team together and it's probably worth reminding people of some of the drivers that have come through i mean there's two other ones that stand out uh to me joseph newgarden being yep. one has obviously gone on to be you know he's a he's indycar champion penske, <laughs> yeah. uh, penske superstar driver, superstar yeah. in the states um and uh on a uk in dan, dan camish of course yeah exactly yeah. won the british formula four championship with you then went on to be successful in porsches and is now well, I think it's probably fair to call him and on, works Honda and leader. And Harvey takes way too much credit for getting him into Porsche because it was me that got Dan <laughs> into Porsche in the first place. Oh, <laughs> excellent! A bit but of Tim, there. Tim did set him up for a full season drive. So I mean, what did he they... did massive? He was he was massive help to Dan as well, of course. Yeah, yeah, and and but did they were they were, were Joseph? I mean, Joseph's a bit different. I suppose you were still doing British F three at the time, um, but I mean, he was the quickest guy in the championship that year. He just didn't. You know, various yeah. things happened. He didn't win the championship, and and obviously Dan very much delivered for you. Are they the two standouts other than Dan that you can that you can think of? Uh, yes, yes, yeah, for sure. I'd say there were. I mean, Joseph was um, was new. It was his first year in. You know, it was the only year he did in in Formula Ford in 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 the UK. Um, so it was a typical kind of rookie season where he was quick, quick, quick. Won the most races, but never kind of didn't finish the championship off but you could see that there was yeah you could see that there was ability there it was a nick tandy season <laughs> yeah it, there was, it, he had the he had the the what you know the knack the the desire as well the drive to do it and um and dan actually raced with us i think the first time back in 20 i'm going to say 2010 i think back in the old duratech days um, in Formula Ford, he did half season with us then, and was really good. You know, I think if he if he'd done a, a full season afterwards, he would have he would have won the championship back then. But he got an offer to do some Renault stuff, and and it was good. And yet, yeah, when he came back and and that season was it thirteen thirteen mm-hmm. yeah he won he won every race. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> he won twenty four twenty four races. He? Yeah, he didn't even need to turn up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean that was it was just exceptional. And to see it, it's great to see those guys go on to to something and say that yeah, you know perhaps our little team is helped along the way. Of course, it's always nice, and I always personally try and help the drivers as much as I can when they when they leave, no matter no matter what they are or, or where they're going. 
um you know i don't i don't manage drivers i don't have favorites but i i always if i can help in any way then then i'll go out of my way to do that as a benefit of being with jtr now um we mentioned this earlier on when it's just just the two of us but the in the early days when you were doing formula four is multi-mark develop your own cars um and you came out of um, British Formula Four sort of when it became MSA Formula, didn't you? And go down the the Porsche route. It it was. I mean, obviously, your Porsche links would have been part of the reason behind that. But was was there also an element of the the, the categories were perhaps what what really gets you going about sort of national level motorsport? Yes, there was a certain degree of that um, because even in the when when Formula Ford went to the EcoBoost Formula, it was still open. You know, you could. You can go and build your own engines, and and there was much. It was much more restricted, but there were still parts that were open. And of course, kind of F four is a it's a spec series, and it's like any spec series. If you don't, if you don't get the right drivers, or you know you don't have the right opportunity to develop the drivers, then you're on a hiding to nothing. And then the year after, it just gets harder and harder to to stay competitive. Yeah, obviously I'd been with Porsche for a few years, um, personally, and we wanted to, as a team, we'd wanted to get out of the formula stuff for a little while because it's so, especially at junior level, is so much effort and so much backlash that comes back from parents and managers for the mean the, for the <laughs> for the reward of actually having a great season, which is, I mean, if you win a championship, it's great. You know the stuff that we did when we were winning. But I mean, financially, it's it's the worst business model in the world. Um, I can say that quite categorically. If you're if you're if you're a small team running in one championship, then it's just a complete waste of time because there'll always be somebody that comes out new that thinks they can do it cheaper. That then that degrades the whole market, and uh, this is just a cycle that goes on. You know, the two single seater categories in the country at the moment. Um, British Formula 4 and BRDC Formula 3, British Formula 3, both single spec, they've kind of gone down this road. Let's face it, the whole sport has. It's not like the UK is out of line, really, on this. Is that, do we think that that's kind of something we just kind of have to accept? Is it, you know, it's never going to go back? Or is it? Is there a way of doing it that kind of means you could bring it back in a bit? I think it's, it's difficult. Obviously, uh, form, British Formula 4 is part of the FIA's ladder of a single seater series now so in it's sort of inevitable in that way in that sense that it's going to have a much more clearly defined spec formula now this is what you can do this is what you can't do and as you've said Kev it's the way that motorsport across the world is seemingly going down more and more that route uh, and it's interesting how like Nick was saying earlier about how the sort of British Formula 4 wasn't really working for his team and he wasn't alone a lot of the other uh, British Formula 4 teams that moved across into the series most of them are no longer part of it either uh, just because of the changing nature of of that series and how you've had uh, big single seat operations like Carlin and Fortec Arden Double R come in and join the championship and it, it sort of changed the nature of it in a sense um, and it's part. It's good for for the young drivers coming through because they're working with these sort of really p- professional teams that they can move up the ladder with, um, both in the UK and Europe. 
so they can build those partnerships. But at the same time, it is harder for smaller teams to compete in that sort of environment. Yeah, I don't know if there's a if there's a solution to that problem now either. I mean, I remember when they launched Formula BMW, which was a single, obviously a single make thing, but the idea was that you could run it in a kind of a Formula, an old Kent Formula Ford style way of you know dad and lad type thing. And I keep mentioning Tim Bridgman actually won the first championship in that kind of environment, but very quickly professional teams come in, and you know a team that's got professional engineers and professional mechanics full time, they're going to be. 99 times in 100 a, a, a dad and lad type scenario aren't they I think we've perhaps just perhaps we've just mm. got to that point in the sport where that's what the professional level is and if you want to do the other stuff it's it's, it's club level racing yeah I think that the time has, has come where you know people see you come out karting at whatever 14 you can go straight into F3 you do a couple of years you could be in F1 this sort of thing so and I think for the kind of the career minded drivers um, they don't want to have to choose between a, a a Ray, a Spirit, or a Megal, you know, whatever. They just want to know that they've got try and got the same equipment as everybody else. I think that's the whole, you know, it becomes when everything becomes so um, professional, if you like, so so um, you know, at such a high level, even at a a junior kind of an early stage in people's careers it, it, that's why it's moved to to single make stuff because people just don't want to have the the risk of multi-mark stuff when it's about because these formulas they're all about the drivers it's clear there's nothing involved every money that's turned over from whatever's going on it's all about the driver that sits in the car and uh, that's different to some sort of other areas of the sport where you know, it's uh, it's a bit different, but it's a shame because I think you used to have, like you say, the the teams that were in Formula Ford that dropped kind of dropped away. Um, unless you're running in multiple championships, you can't you can't afford to have a big workshop and you know a nice shiny truck and and this is this became what people were looking for not the actual people that work there or the the cars that were put out it was kind of you know can i have a look at your simulator and uh and 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 come you know have a meeting in your office in your workshop but that's just this just the way that that nature is and sport evolves so for us it was good because we we moved into the porsche stuff that's it. And just picking up on the, the sort of multi-chassis side of things, when you're paying hundreds of thousands of pounds to go racing, you don't want to pay all that money and then find out that you've, you've got the wrong car, yeah, so you're back to the wrong horse. Yeah. And when there's so, so much money at stake, um, it's perhaps inevitable that people are going down this, this single chassis, single make route, uh, where at least that problem or issue doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's not a problem. I mean, what's happened in the Formula Three? I mean, I've, I've kind of stopped following it. But why did why did F three as a because even when it was multi when it was open, there was still kind of a Dallara formula, but there was still engine competition. So what's why has that gone to a single make sort of thing? Well, I think part of the problem you you mean sort of pre BRDC sort of Jonathan Palmer F3 no revival? Do you mean? Cut- kind of up to um, hasn't f3 yeah. changed yeah so it's now so you're talking about british f3 as it as it was when well you more were doing euro f3 it, and macau kind of f3 well, i I'm think thinking the budget's about. got um quite quite 
massive, didn't they? And it kind of and, and do you remember Trevor Carlin was running more and more? You know, Carlin were running more and more cars, and it kind of got to that point, I think, where if you couldn't get a Carlin seat, you wouldn't bother, and you look at another championship, and it it sort of dwindled quite badly. I mean, I think that part of um, Carlin's problem was um, was it the, was it the, when when you were were you still doing it when um, Grubmuller was was driving at high tech and they yes, brought yeah, yeah. Andersander we were, yeah. and, uh, and you know, they threw a lot of money at that car and to, to get Grimmuller to the front against Danny Ricciardo in a Carlin Delara. And that high tech car was good and I think Carlin had to do quite a lot of development, which then cost a lot of money and put them even them at risk and they were the most successful team in the championship. So I think it was one of those things where it just got more and more expensive fewer and fewer drivers are willing to stump up the cash and it kind of it probably did need to reinvent itself whether it's reinvented itself in the right form is is a different probably a different debate really should we get on to something a bit fun do you know anything fun Kevin? yeah lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um no the fun bit was um despite the fact that you're you know a very busy um Porsche factory driver flying across the atlantic all the time and running a team you've also got a a rather fun club racing project. My car. Which proved to be quite successful <laughs> on its first outing at the end of last year, didn't it? Enduro car. A Ford car, <laughs> which you drive for long periods of time. It's, it was funny. Uh, the, whole, the whole reason came... Actually, I, I, it came into my mind because I read an article by Ladders, actually. Robert Ladbrook, for those <laughs> not familiar with... Uh, um, the motor st- news terminology. <laughs> the back end of no, it was the early start of nineteen, I think. And there was this new championship being launched, and um, I, I, I thought about you know trying to have a race with my mates at some, but it was kind of you know the Citroen stuff was never kind of never appealed, and and everything else was kind of going to be expensive. It doesn't have to be too expensive, but it, it's going to be it expensive if you're running sort of any sort yeah. of decent you know car, but. Not decent, but fairly fast. Um, and yeah, this the, I saw the launch of this Enduro Car Championship, and it's a Ford. And um, as you probably both know, I'm <coughs> quite a big Ford man, uh, as well as Porsche, of course. Um, we've got quite a few Fords at home, me and my father. Um, so, and I, I quite fancied building a car again. Funnily enough, for, I don't know, what, 15 years of my career or more um i had to build my own cars oh, not when i was not when i was 10 and 11 but from sort of 13 years on we had to build our own cars and to go racing and compete it was a necessity to to work on these cars and it got to the point where i i just hated it you know it was i never enjoyed it my brother was always better in the workshop than me um hence why he kind of said well, i'm going to set the team up first um when i wasn't ready to give up on the driving but uh yeah, I kind of the last few years since I've been with Porsche and haven't had to to make uh, to build my own cars. Fortunately, do they not make you build the <laughs> I don't, cars? No, <laughs> oh, no. Right. I still do the occasional <laughs> windscreen. Yeah, I can still fit a, fit a windscreen anywhere you like. Um, yeah, I just fancy building a car again. To be honest, um, I go in the workshop and all the you know we have all the Porsches in there now and. But I, I I rarely work on the cars unless there's a shit fight at the weekend and you know there's everything's going on. Um, and uh, yeah, the endurance part of it, racing with mates. I thought, yeah, I'll I'll have a go at this. I went and bought a five hundred pound car from Sandy Auctions or wherever wherever I got it from, and uh, 
and built this car yeah, and we took it to Brands and raced it around, around for eight and a half hours just kept putting fuel in it and a few tyres and yeah we won the race it was good fun and you got <laughs> got and you got noticed by quite high level uh, high level people didn't you <laughs> as well yeah the next morning Andreas Seidel who'd, who'd been out in uh, in Brazil getting a podium for for his new team McLaren sent me a sent me a text with a screenshot of the of, of an article I think it was that um, the Autosport had done you know, saying it wasn't, um, you know, how you're doing and blah, blah. It was, it was just you, you winning everything, don't you? Kind of thing, you know, and, and even he, for him to be kind of looking and following and seeing what we're up to, as well as thinking about, you know, achieving a, a podium with McLaren in, in F1 the previous day was, <laughs> I didn't expect that in the morning. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And Stephen, this is, this Enduro car, the Ford car thing and Citroen C1 it seems to have, really taken off in a short space of time it's almost like the answer to the high cost increasing cost problem that um racing's had definitely i mean the popularity of these series has been incredible there was a c1 24-hour race at silverstone earlier last year and that had 99 cars on the grid and that's just incredible it's an endurance classic you haven't won yet nick (laughs) (laughs) we'll pass that one (laughs) and that just shows the popularity of it because it it is low budget. You can go racing with your mates, as Nick was saying. And and the fact that it's a very basic car doesn't seem to bother people. It's that entry-level route into uh, circuit racing for people perhaps done track days or very limited karting in the past. And it doesn't cross the earth and people seem to be enjoying it. It's really, really taken off. Yeah, I mean, it's great because you can you can literally buy a car off the street and you know fit the suspension fit the cage the extinguisher the seat and i mean there's a few bits and pieces that aren't easy to to do race car wise for to get the you know the, all the regulations get through scrutineering but um you know anyone can kind of look at it and do it and build a car in a week um to be to be serious i think you know you need to go a bit further and and take things apart and you know make sure that the donor car is okay like like we did but uh it's just so available and so you know so cheap and the fact that you can share it with four four people and share that cost i think we spent i think it was like 300 pounds each to go racing for a weekend to do an eight and a half hour race at brands <laughs> it was 300 quid each i think another including thing including fuel and tires everything you know yeah and i think another thing that's appealing about it is that it doesn't really matter what level you are you you'll have someone to race and something to something to enjoy won't you so that number of cars that it's probably the only championship I, or series I can think of where the three of us sat around this table could actually be on the same <laughs> grid and it, and it not be ridiculous. You know, it's, it's quite accessible. You know, if you turn out to be good, you've got someone to compare yourself to as a pro all the way through decent club drivers through to complete rookies like our own Stefan Mackley, who did a C1 round. Although he wasn't the guy that put it on its roof, was he? So. No, that, so, yeah. that was someone else who's <laughs> responsible for for that one. But it's good because the difficult it's difficult to to make a you can't make a big difference because you, the kind of the corners are so short and you you don't break so often. So there's not so much difference that you can make out of the driving. So like the level the gap between you know a slow driver and a fast driver is much less than it would be in a in a Porsche, for example. So it is. It's just it's good racing, really good. We're doing it again. Perhaps we'll have to make a autosport. 
office outing to that, we need to that meeting. Car as well, I, yeah. I think we need to get... Um, oh, yes, I've got a message as well that I'm, I have to pass on just briefly, which is Ben Anderson, who's very disappointed that he let you drive his Formula V, but you're unwilling to let him drive any of your cars. <laughs> Is this, the offer's still not open. Still not. <laughs> Sorry, Ben, I did try. And I think that the key question here that no one's asked is, where does winning the Enduro K IndyCar 500 rank on your list of achievements, Nick? It's, I mean, it is quite an achievement, honestly. We we rocked up. We were, It was our first race. And honestly, I, I expected... My original plan was... Because you can, you can do kind of two hours on a, on a tank of fuel... And obviously to win it, you can do it in four stops, let's say. But we just plan to do an hour, you know, stop, change of drive. Just, you know, so everyone got two goes. We'd probably lose about four or five laps, but, you know, it wouldn't really matter. And then, of course, the race started and immediately we got a two-lap penalty for not wearing our gloves during refueling. <laughs> and at this point, I, I had two thoughts as I was walking back from the um the clerk's office you know race control <laughs> i thought either i'm gonna stop now and go home <laughs> this is like an hour in i said or i'm gonna i'm gonna turn turn this over and i'm gonna do everything we can to win it and uh yeah so then the, the plan changed and it was it was it came it became a strategy race they put on a good it's a good series it really is and the fact that there was i think there was over 20 cars for the first round you know, for a new series, it's quite unbelievable. You never quite know what to expect when it when it is a new series, and anything with sort of twenty cars is doing very good job to get yeah, that exactly from yeah. the word go. Well, there you go. That's the unexpected part of the <laughs> Nick Tandy podcast is a recommendation to go and do enduro car. Tim Harvey's doing it in you know? twenty twenty. Is he? Is Tim doing? <laughs> we'll have to yeah, get on. He to asked Tim me for a car, that. but I said no. <laughs> <laughs> on this ongoing conflict that you've clearly got with Tim Harvey, which I wasn't previously aware. No, of. The last one took about seven months to build, so I'm not doing another one. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, um, I think that just uh, leaves me to say um, thanks very much for listening. Thank you, Nick Tandy, for coming and speaking to us. And thank you, um, Stephen Licorice. Um, we'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Well, thanks to Kevin and Nick for their chat. What did you think of their discussion about Tandy's motorsport career? Do let us know on our social media channels using the handle at Autosports. And now we'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport podcast. But do check out autosport.com and motorsport.com for all the latest news and analysis, as well as subscribe to Autosport Plus to enjoy our in-depth features and insight. Thank you very much for listening. And finally, thanks to our producer, Martin Lee, for editing this episode. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.